Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, Volume 1, Chapter 15. Previously, on Pride and Prejudice, we have met the Bennet family consisting of Mr. and Mrs. Bennet and their five daughters, Jane, Elizabeth, Mary, Kitty, and Lydia. Um, we have met the Mr. Bingley and his sisters, who have just recently moved into the neighborhood, and his good friend, Mr. Darcy, who came visiting with him. We have also met the Lucases, who are the Bennet's close neighbors, and especially Charlotte Lucas is Elizabeth Bennet's bestie. Um, and we have seen that Mr. Bingley and Jane are hitting it off really well and everyone's very hopeful of a match for them. And we've seen that Mr. Darcy is a jerk and seems very full of himself and he's really into Lizzie, but she doesn't know that and she hates him and it's a whole thing. Um, they've spent some time together at Netherfield, which is Bingley's new home where he's renting and they've really gotten to spend some time together like that, which is really putting in that Darcy really likes Lizzie and Lizzie really doesn't like Darcy. Anyway, they finally get to go home. And then who should show up but their cousin, Mr. Collins, who is going to inherit the Bennett estate when Mr. Bennett dies, because of course it can't go to any of the girls because, you know, estates have to stay in the male line. They can't go to a mere female. So he's going to inherit the estate and he's come to visit and he's really annoying. And that's about where we've left off. So we're going to spend some more time with Mr. Collins, getting to know him. And we're going to meet another big character this chapter. It's very exciting. We will be meeting the elusive Mr. Wickham. <laughs> So we start with chapter 15 with a description of Mr. Collins, and I'm just going to read you this whole first paragraph because I think it's fabulous. It says, Mr. Collins was not a sensible man, and the deficiency of nature had but been but little assisted by education or society, the greatest part of his life having been spent under the guidance of an illiterate and miserly father. And though he belonged to one of the universities, he had merely kept the necessary terms without forming it at it any useful acquaintance. The subjection in which his father had brought him up had given him originally great humility of manner, but it was now a good deal counteracted by the self-conceit of a weak head, living in retirement, and the consequential feelings of an early and unexpected prosperity. A fortunate chance had recommended him to Lady Catherine de Bourgh, when the living of Hunsford was vacant, and the respect which he felt for her high rank, and his veneration for her as his patroness, mingling with a very good opinion of himself, of his authority as a clergyman, and his rights as a rector, made him altogether a mixture of pride and obsequiousness, self-importance, and humility. So that's the whole first paragraph of chapter 15. And I think it is a pretty fabulous description of who Mr. Collins is and what his whole deal is. So to reiterate and what we're talking about here, he is not particularly smart. He was, did not have a particularly good education prior to going to university. His father seems to have been not the greatest of person. Um, we do know that his father has a, um, has had a beef with Mr. Bennett, 
they were not good friends. They had a, um, we learned from the initial letter that Mr. Collins wrote a couple chapters ago that they had always, Mr. Bennett and Mr. Collins's father, I assume also Mr. Collins, um, was, had always, you know, been at odds with each other. They were not friends. Um, and we can, we can read between the lines here. It says he's a miserly and illiterate father. So Mr. Collins's father was not seemingly a very good person, not very good father. Um, and so Mr. Collins didn't have a great education growing up from him, did go to university, but didn't make any good, um, didn't form any useful acquaintance is how they put it. So he didn't make any great friends. He didn't, or useful acquaintance, meaning like people who would help him in his career. You know, he just was kind of there, just kind of went through it. But a chance encounter or a fortunate chance had recommended him to Lady Catherine de Bourgh. And that is how he got his place at Hunsford as the rector of her estate um, or of this town of where her estate is more likely. Um, and so that gave him now a very good opinion of himself. He has a very high opinion of Lady Catherine, obviously, but he says he has a very good opinion of himself, of his authority as a clergyman and his rights as a rector. So he's got this weird mix of pride and obsequiousness of self-importance and humility. And he is a very sort of got that weird dichotomy going on that we'll see throughout where he's got a lot of he like talks puts himself down but also is very prideful of himself it's a very weird mix um and that whole paragraph very strongly expresses how that was so then the next chapter goes into kind of why is he here why has he decided to come to Longbourn and we find it's because he has decided that he wants to marry and he has decided that it would be in the best interest of everyone that he marries one of the daughters of Longbourn um and he said that it's or she's saying here that it's because of his position now as the rector at Hunsford that he has the money and the means to marry and he will also we will hear later that he says that Lady Catherine wants him to marry so she wants to have like basically she I think wants a woman there to um talk to and to boss around and you know just have in her sphere of influence so to speak so it says that he is planning to use this as a way, It this was his plan of amends. So he is going to make amends to the family at Longbourn, to the Bennets, by marrying one of their daughters. And here's the thing that I want to bring up, that I don't like Mr. Collins. I don't think you're supposed to like Mr. Collins. He's not the greatest person, but he's not wrong here, right? His idea that he's going to come and marry one of the girls from Longbourn is a way to save them. We've been talking this entire book so far that the Mr. Bennett's estate is entailed away to Mr. Collins. The girls will not inherit anything. If their father dies before they're married, they will be destitute. They do need to marry to have a place to go and they need to marry well enough that their husband can hopefully take care of the rest of the family, meaning their widowed mother and any other unmarried daughters. And Mr. Collins is sort of setting himself up to do that. He's plan He's essentially putting himself up and saying that you know I will marry one of these girls I will marry one of these daughters and that will make it so that you know if and when Mr. Bennett dies that 
the rest of the Bennets, the mother and the sisters, will be able to stay at Longbourn as his immediate family. He is setting them up to be comfortable and safe for the rest of their lives. He is taking on the burden, quote unquote, of having to care for them and care for that family and take care of them financially. So it is a generous offer. It is a genuinely good thing if economically for everyone involved that he do this. And I do want to put that out there because I do think we something that, especially from a more modern reading, we can kind of skip over and not really think about. And here's the thing. I will do plenty of Mr. Collins bashing later. Like I said, I don't like him, but I do want to point out when he is doing a good thing or a nice thing. This is a benevolent, good, nice thing that he is doing. And it is socially correct. And it is, he is taking on a burden by doing this. He has money and... You know, he's got a comfortable living now. He has got an income when he he is going to inherit the Longbourn estate with even more income later. He is under no obligation to marry one of the Bennett sisters. He could go out to find more money, find a girl, you know, find another young woman with a dowry to earn him even more money. It is within his rights to do that. Now, with the type of person he is, that would be difficult for him to do because he doesn't have good acquaintance to go out and find another appropriate wife. So this is also an easier step for him, you know, an easy way in, he thinks, to just get a wife without having to really do any work. So that's part of it, too. But from a purely economic standpoint of the time period, it makes a lot of sense for him to marry one of the girls. And it is actually a very good thing for them all economically that he do so and it says basically that he went he meant to choose one of the daughters if he found them as handsome and amiable as they were represented by common reports so we do find that he um has some standards and he is only going to marry one of them if he finds them as handsome and amiable as he thinks they're going to be um but his plan did not vary on seeing them miss bennett's lovely face confirmed his views so here we do see some selfishness involved, that he wants a pretty wife. And so he came ready to marry one of them, assuming that they were pretty enough for him. And he sees Jane, who is gorgeous, obviously. And he's like, yeah, I'll marry Jane. Jane's great. She's beautiful, perfect. She's going to be my wife. Um, how, and that's how he decided the first night. However, the next morning he talks to Mrs. Bennett, and she's the one who lets him know that, you know... Let's see. Yes, Mrs. Bennett said, um, ha gave him a caution against the very Jane he had fixed on. She says, as to her younger daughter, she could not take upon her to say. She could not positively answer, but she did not know of any prepossession. Her eldest daughter, she must just mention, she felt it incumbent on her to hint, was likely to be very soon engaged. So I want to talk about that wording a little bit. Prepossession. So that somebody already owns the girls is the way I'm reading that. And I, ugh, it's very gross that Jane's already owned by Mr. Bingley. Sorry, you can't have her. But the rest of them are, you know, still on the market is how I'm reading that. Which has a kind of slimy, gross feel. So, but anyway, Mrs. Bennett has that conversation and that's what turns, it says, Mr. Collins had only to change from Jane to Elizabeth and it was soon done. Done while Mrs. Bennett was stirring the fire. Elizabeth, equally next to Jane in birth and beauty, succeeded her, of course. And so here we go with Jane as he says, 
Jane is the eldest and she's the most beautiful. So he at first fixes on her. But then Mrs. Bennett tells him that, oh, you know, now Jane's already pretty much taken, spoken for. You need to pick one of the others. And so he goes to Elizabeth because she's the next oldest and the next prettiest, according to Mr. Collins. Or at least almost, I think he probably just goes because she's the next. And in this time period, it is very standard for the daughters to want to marry in birth order. Where you'd want to get the oldest daughter married off first and then the next and, you know, so on down the line. And it would be very odd for, as in this book happens later on, where Lydia gets to marry first. That's a very strange thing. That is not the way that socially it's supposed to work. You're supposed to kind of go in age order. So it makes a lot of sense for Mr. Collins to be looking kind of in age order to have first wanted to marry the eldest and then go for the next eldest when the eldest is sort of already spoken for. So that's all very, I think expected and kind of normal and it makes sense that mr collins would think that way because he's a very stodgy i don't know he wouldn't like actually care about liking the person or wanting to get to know the girls to see which one is the best fit for him but um he's just kind of going by the pre prescribed notions of what should happen and in that sense in that sense you know it makes sense that he'd go for the next um and mrs bennett is very happy about this it says she treasured up the hint and trusted that she might soon have two daughters married. The man whom she could not bear to think of the day before was now high in her good graces. So Mrs. Bennet now has had this conversation with Mr. Collins. She understands that he's wanting to marry one of her daughters. She's already hinted him away from Jane. She is very happy, very excited that he's, she's going to have two daughters married, Jane and Elizabeth. And she is very excited about this whole situation because it's going to just save everything. Everything's going to be fabulous. And then we switch perspectives. So the girls are now all going to walk to Meryton. Lydia is the one who wants to go. And everybody except for Mary, all the girls except for Mary, are going to go. And Mr. Collins is going to walk with them. There is a little funny bit here with Mr. Bennett wanting to push Mr. Collins out to go walk with his daughters. Because um, Mr. Collins has been making himself a nuisance to his host in the library. Um, and it says that he... Mr. Collins would be in the library, um, nominally engaged with one of the largest portfolio with largest folios in the collection, but really talking to Mr. Bennett with little cessation of his house and garden at Hunsford. Such doings discomposed Mr. Bennett exceedingly. In his library he had always he had been always sure of a leisure and tranquillity, and though prepared, as he told Elizabeth, to meet with folly and conceit in every other room in the house, he was used to be free from them there. His civility, therefore, was most prompt in inviting Mr. Collins to join his daughters in their walk. And Mr. Collins, being in fact much better fitted for a walker than a reader, was extremely well pleased to close his large book and go. <laughs> so that's a bit of a burn on Mr. Collins. I think that's something we see throughout Jane Austen's novels, that people who are not good readers are not seen as our best people, right? So the fact that Mr. Collins is not a good reader is a mark against him in my opinion, and I think also in Jane's. And so I think that's a fun little burn there that's Mr. Collins, in fact, being much better fitted for a walker than a reader. So he has he has the mind for walking. So Mr. Collins is kind of pushed out because Mr. Bennett wants some alone time and Mr. Collins won't shut up is what I'm hearing here. So he sends them off with his daughters, which I think is actually a little moment here to talk about Mr. Bennett as a father. Um, Elizabeth loves him and he is great comic relief and 
you know, I love Mr. Bennett through most of the book. He's hilarious, and I think his and Elizabeth's relationship is very sweet. But there are moments that show you he's not really a good parent, I don't think, in a lot of ways. And this, I think, is a one little piece of that, where this person who is so annoying and he doesn't want to deal with, his solution is to foist him off on her his daughters. Not to protect his daughters from an annoying acquaintance, but to foist him on them. And I really do think it is something to think about. It's not this huge evil thing that Mr. Bennett has done, but it is something to at least think and be a little bit, I think, concerned about that, like... Mr. Bennett thinks that that's okay, that he's just going to foist his problems onto somebody else, especially to foist his problems onto his daughters. And I think it is indicative of some of his other actions throughout the novel, you know, or throughout even pre the novel, where he has sort of not prepared by saving money for his widow and any daughters who are not married when he dies, that he's sort of like burying his head in the sand and not dealing with the problems of the situation. Because this is a real problem, right? The fact that his daughters are all going to be destitute when he dies is something that is not going to bother him because he's going to be dead. But, you know, it's something that you would think as a good loving father he'd plan for and he's not. It doesn't seem, as far as we know throughout the book, that he's doing anything to help further the situation. And Mrs. Bennet is annoying. Um, and reading this where she's so happy that Mr. Collins is going to marry Lizzie, knowing that Lizzie's not going to like this, it's very easy to be mad at her about that. And I think that's right. I don't think that you're wrong to be upset with her. But I also don't think she's 100% wrong to be excited about this prospect. Like, she is trying to save them financially. And Mr. Bennett isn't. And I think that we have, there's always a lot of hate on Mrs. Bennett. And I think it's fair. I love jumping on it. Mrs. Bennett is so obnoxious. But she's not wrong that this is a problem that needs to be fixed. And that the only real solution they have as a family is marrying off the girls and they, you know, live quietly in the country and don't have a lot of prospects of, of which, you know, for who their daughters are going to marry. So I think her perspective makes a lot of sense from a financial situation. Um, it's unfortunate that Mr. Collins is such an annoying person. <laughs> um, but she's also very uh, not in not in tune with her daughters if she thinks that Elizabeth is going to agree to this. But I do think it shows something interesting in their parenting there that Mrs. Bennett is the one that's really trying to save the family, really. She's going about it in a very short-sighted way, I think, you know, and assuming that Lizzie would be okay with this. Like, if she was smart, she would be forced, pushing Mr. Collins towards Mary because Mary would probably say yes, and she's the only one who would. Or Jane probably would have said yes if Mr. Bingley wasn't there. But, I mean, it's just short-sighted of mrs bennett not to realize that about elizabeth like because it just shows she doesn't know her own daughter but at least she's trying mr bennett is not and he's pushing off his responsibilities the same way that he is pushing off mr collins onto his daughters so i just think that's an interesting place to note that so they walk into the village so it's jane and lizzie and kitty and lydia and mr collins and it says, in pompous nothings on his side and civil ascents on that of his cousins, their time passed till they entered Meryton. So pompous nothings is what he says, which yeah makes sense for Mr. Collins. Sounds sort of miserable to me, but that's what we're going with. So they end up going to Meryton and then the younger girls pay him no attention anymore because they are looking for officers. And it says... 
Nothing less than a very smart botan indeed, or a really new muslin in a shop window, could recall them. And then, bum bum bum, we get to meet Mr. Wickham, and everybody's excited. So here we go. Our first introduction to Mr. Wickham says, but the attention of every lady was soon caught by a young man whom they had never seen before, a most gentlemanlike, of most gentlemanlike appearance, walking with an officer on the other side of the way. The officer was the very Mr. Denny concerning whose return from London Lydia came to inquire, and he bowed as they passed. All were struck with the stranger's air. All wondered who he could be, and Kitty and Lydia, determined if possible to find out, led the way across the street under pretense of wanting something in the opposite shop, and fortunately had just gained the pavement when the two gentlemen turning back had reached the same spot. Mr. Denny addressed them directly and entreated permission to introduce his friend, Mr. Wickham who had returned with him the day before from town, and, he was happy to say, had accepted a commission in their corpse. This was exactly as it should be, for the young man wanted only regimentals to make him completely charming. His appearance was greatly in his favour. He had all the best parts of beauty, a fine countenance, a good figure, and a very pleasing address. The introduction was followed up on his side by a happy readiness of conversation, a readiness at the same time perfectly correct and unassuming, and the whole party were still standing talking together very agreeably when the sound of horses drew their notice, and Mr. Darcy and, Darcy and Bingley were seen riding down the street. So that is our introduction to Mr. Wickham. Basically what we find out about him is that he's handsome and charming, and everybody's all excited to see him, and he's going to be part of the he's going to be a lieutenant he's going to join the militia and be in town for the winter with them it's all very very exciting so new young man in town handsome and charming and then we are reminded of the other new young men who have come to town who are handsome who one of them is handsome and charming and one of them is just handsome doesn't seem particularly charming so they are there. So Bingley is then talking to Jane and saying, oh, I was about to ride to Longbourn to come and see you. And Darcy's just kind of sitting silently on his horse behind them. And then Mr. Darcy sees Mr. Wickham. And here we see Elizabeth is the one noticing that this is happening. It doesn't seem like anybody else notices. Um, but Darcy sees Wickham. And it says he was he was trying to he was determined not to fix his eye on elizabeth because remember he has this crush on lizzie lizzie that he is trying to avoid so he's very determinedly sitting there okay i'm not going to stare at elizabeth i'm not going to stare at elizabeth and then he sees wickham and this happens and they so his eyes were suddenly arrested by the sight of the stranger and elizabeth happening to see the countenance of both as they looked at each other was all astonishment at the effect of the meeting both changed color one looked white the other red so what does that mean? One looked white, the other red. I think this is a very interesting turn of events. I'm not exactly, you know, you are kind of left to determine for yourself which way is which and who thinks what. I, I, I guess from, for, from future knowledge of knowing what is the situation actually is, I assume Darcy is red because he's angry and Wickham is white because he's kind of like, Shh, why is Darcy here? Like, oh no, I, he didn't because there's no reason for us to know or to think that Wickham was expecting Darcy to be there, right? 
he is following this friend to this random little town in the middle of nowhere that he, as far as he knows darcy has no reason to be in meriton of all places you know that's not where his estate is there he's no connection to this town he's never been there before you know wickham has no reason to expect that he is meeting darcy so i would also like to take this moment to think about timeline of what this is knowing about knowing what we know from the future what is this timeline so we know that this is now that this is now the fall and it was only last summer so a couple months ago that wickham tried to elope with georgiana darcy so it's probably been two or three months since this whole that whole situation blew up not that much more it's only a few months later that suddenly they're running into each other in meriton so it's still very fresh in his mind darcy is still pissed about this obviously so the idea that they're just suddenly running into each other for the first time after that incident, um, that's what I'm reading from this. So obviously as a first time reader, you wouldn't know that history. We find that out a lot later, but just putting that context in your mind that this is within a couple months, like three months at the max, probably less since Darcy found Wickham about to elope with Georgiana. And sent him packing and all of that and got rid of, sent Mrs. Young off and all of that situation happened. We find out later it happened just this past summer and we are now in the fall. So Bingley moves in in September. We have that he's taking possession at Michaelmas. So that's September something. I don't remember which date. Um, but, you know, so and he, now he's been there a while. He's been there at least a couple months. So September, October, it's probably October, November-ish um, in the fall. And... All we know about the Georgiana situation, I think, is that it was in the summer. So I'm not exactly sure if we know what month it happened, but not can't be that that long ago, really. Um, so that's a very recent past. And now they have met in public for the first time. And I assume that Darcy is red and angry and Wickham is white and like, crap, what's he going to do? I was just moving here. I just, you know, I'm getting my lieutenancy thing here. Is he going to ruin this for me is what I think happened. Um, and then she sees that after a few moments of them staring at each other Wickham touches his hat a salutation which Mr. Darcy just deigned to return so Wickham finally pulls the nerve to like greet Darcy as a socially acceptable and Darcy barely returns the gesture almost gives him a cut direct which is a big social like thing that, you know, greeting people you know, acquaintances. So that's a big deal to them. And so Lizzie's thinking, what could be the meaning of it? It was impossible to imagine. It was impossible not to long to know. So Lizzie is seeing this. It doesn't seem like anybody else is noting this. But she sees this little interaction where they are barely civil to each other, seem to be antagonistic. And Lizzie's thing is, ooh, I want to know what the gossip is, is what that is. She is looking and she wants to know. She and her interest, she'll, f she'll find at least one version of the story very, very soon. So she is focused on that, wanting to know what the go hot gossip is between Wickham and Darcy. Um, but then very soon, Mr. Bingley, without seeming to have noticed what passed between Wickham and Darcy, takes his leave and rides off and Darcy goes with him. So then Mr. Denny and Mr. Wickham walk the young ladies to their aunt, Mrs. Phillips' house. 
And then they head off, even though Lydia is asking them to come in and Mrs. Phillips throws open the parlor window and loudly seconds the invitation, which doesn't seem very um, high class, let's say. <laughs> Something that Darcy would be embarrassed about. Or Elizabeth would be embarrassed about if Darcy was still there. <laughs> so, but even with that, they decide not to come in and Denny and Mr. Wickham go off. And so the rest of them go into Mrs. Phillips. And so she was very happy to see her nieces. The two eldest especially because they had been gone for a while. They'd been, you know, they were off sick at, or Jane was sick at Netherfield and Elizabeth was helping her there, but they were both off at, Jen, at Netherfield and talking. And then we get a little section that's kind of talking about how gossip goes through the town, which I think is interesting because she was talking about, you know, she's happy that they're home and they, she wouldn't have even known that they were home because their own carriage didn't go catch them. Because if you remember, they had to use the Netherfield carriage. They had to use Bingley's carriage to get them home because their mother would not send the Bennett carriage. Um, so she only knows about it because she heard about it from Mr. Jones's, the apothecary shop boy, who told her that, you know, they weren't sending medicine to Netherfield anymore because Jane went home. And so I just think that's a fun little inter interplay of how this, like, gossip is going through town and how Mrs. Phillips knows everything because, you know, various people are talking and that's all they've got to do at this time period. There's just lots and lots of gossip. Anyway, that funny little anecdote over... Mrs. Phillips is now meeting Mr. Collins for the first time. Jane does the introduction. Um, and Mr. Collins is showing that weird obsequiousness because he's like apologizing for the intrusion because she'd never met her. She, he has never met Mrs. Phillips before and is just like inviting himself into the house and all this. And it's over the top and ridiculous. Like her nieces have brought you here. Like, no, they're introducing you. You've been invited by her nieces. It's just very strange. And I think very over the top showing of how his manners are weird. <laughs> um, then Lydia and Kitty want to know about Mr. Wickham. They try to press Mrs. Phillips for information, but she doesn't really know anything other than what they already know. It says, yeah, she could only tell her nieces what they already knew, that Mr. Denny had brought him from London and he was to have a lieutenant's commission in the Shire. Um, she had been walking, watching him walk up and down the street for a while, but he was gone now. So Kitty and Lydia couldn't do that anymore because unluckily no one passed the windows now, except for a few of the officers who in comparison with a stranger were become stupid, disagreeable fellows. Remember they were in love with all of them until they met Wickham. So this is a very new development that they find any of the officers, stupid, disagreeable fellows. Um, they find out that some of the officers are going to dine with the Phillipses the next day and, she's mrs phillips is promising that her husband is going to go call on mr wickham and make sure that he's part of the party um if they would all come down from longbourn and this was agreed to so they're going to have a little party at mrs phillips's house um and the prospect of such delights was very cheerful and they parted in mutual good spirits so mrs phillips is going to throw the party they're all going to come the next day and everyone's very excited about it very happy about it and it says here, Mr. Collins repeated his apologies in quitting the room and was assured with unwearying civility that they were perfectly needless. So again, I'm reading between the lines here of Mr. Collins being over the top, ridiculously annoying in his civilities and his apologies and all that crap again. And then Elizabeth gets to gossip of what she really wants to talk about, the whole Darcy Wickham situation with Jane on the way home. It says that she... Elizabeth related to Jane what she had seen but passed between the two gentlemen. And I love this line, this next line so much. 
it says, but though Jane would have defended either or both, had they appeared to be wrong, she could no more explain such behavior than her sister. So she would have defended either or both of them if anybody seemed to have done anything wrong. But because nobody did anything wrong, she didn't even have, she couldn't even do that. So she didn't know what to do. Which I just think is funny for Jane that like she's so, I don't know, wants to see the best in people so much that she would jump to defend anyone. That would be, that's like her go-to move. But because neither of them actually seems to have done anything wrong, she's not really sure. She can't really even defend them. So she doesn't know what to do. She's just kind of stymied by that. <laughs> Which I think is funny. Then they get home back to Longbourn and Mr. Collins tells Mrs. Bennett how great Mrs. Phillips, her sister, was. How her manners were great. Her politeness. Okay, so I'm just going to read it. The end. The last paragraph of this chapter is Mr. Collins, on his return, highly gratified Mrs. Bennett by admiring Mrs. Phillips' manners and politeness. He protested that except Lady Catherine and her daughter, he had never seen a more elegant woman, for she had not only received him with the utmost civility, but had even pointedly included him in her invitation for the next evening. Although utterly unknown to her before, something he supposed might be attributed to his connection to, with them, but yet he had never met with so much attention in the whole course of his life. And that's the end of the chapter. And again, we're just seeing Mr. Collins being his weirdness i don't know his social weirdness is just on full display here um because mrs phillips is obviously inviting everybody she loves new people like she was promising to invite mr wickham who she hasn't even met yet like she has never met him only his her nieces have he's she just had watched him out of the window but he's invited to the party so like the idea that like that mrs phillips has such great manners because she's inviting mr collins to the party and it's all He's just over the top, like, brown nosing at this point. It's ridiculous. And in the adaptations, that's how they show him, too. And I think it's it's always funny, but embarrassing. And that's, that's Mr. Collins. He's funny, but embarrassing. <laughs> and so that's where we get with Chapter 15. We are still just getting more information, mostly about Mr. Collins. Um, with a little bit about the new character, Mr. Wickham. Though we don't know much about him other than he's handsome and charming and he doesn't seem to get along with Mr. Darcy. So that's what we've learned about Wickham. And we've learned more about Collins, that Collins is just as annoying as we thought he was. And he's still just as annoying. The only th new real thing about that is we have confirmed that he wants to marry one of the daughters, which we've had hints about before. But now he's come out flatly and said it and told Mrs. Bennett that. And we also now know that he is specifically fixed on Elizabeth, which Elizabeth does not know yet, and she will not be happy to find out. But that's what we got with chapter 15. And we will be na back next time with chapter 16, where we get to go to Mrs. Phillips's party. So we'll see more of Mr. Collins being his most annoying Mr. Collinsiness. And we will get to actually talk to Mr. Wickham a great deal. So we're really, we're going to get to hear Wickham's side of the story of why he is mad at, at Mr. Darcy and that whole situation next time. It's a very fun chapter. I'm excited to talk about that. Um, but yeah, I think that's it for chapter 15. The first sentence kind of overlays most of what we need to know from this chapter. Mr. Collins was not a sensible man. And then we go on to explore that throughout the entire chapter with only a brief intermission to learn that Mr. Wickham exists. 
And so now we're going on to chapter 16, where we get to see a lot more of both of these young men. I will see you then. Back next time for chapter 16.